Welcome to War Docs, the military medicine podcast. This show brings you a firsthand behind the scenes look into the mission, unique opportunities, and deployed experiences of the entire military healthcare team. From state of the art hospitals in the United States to the most austere environments across the globe, War Docs has you covered. Welcome to War Docs. I am Wayne Causey, an active duty vascular surgeon. We are presenting a recreation of a conversation I had with Colonel Dr. Kirby Gross on the Joint Trauma System call on May 19, 2022. Kirby and I were deployed together to the Roll 3 in Baghdad, and my interactions with him and his five-plus years of experience in his 10 prior deployments clearly makes him a true expert of the military trauma system. Over his 20-year career, he has been the CENTCOM Joint Theater Trauma System Director many times and has also served as the Joint Trauma System Director. Wardox proudly presents this recreated interview, providing insight into the deployed military trauma system. All right, nice discussion for our patient this morning. We're going to move on to the second portion of the teleconference today, and this will be focusing on some observations as an OIR TROM director. And I'll have a chance to provide some feedback as questions are posed to me by Colonel Wayne Causey. Wayne is the vascular consultant to the Surgeon General in the Army, and Wayne also is one of the moderators of the War Docs podcast. So uh, you may recognize his voice if you've uh, listened to some of his podcasts. But I'll give uh, Wayne an opportunity to pose some questions to me based upon his experience here, the Roll 3. Colonel Gross, one of the items I've found consistent with my deployments has been the joy of calling into the JTS calls from Afghanistan and Iraq. You shared with me your log of JTS calls, and you have been on a large majority of the more than 800 calls. Why have you made this a priority? Well, you're right. I have dialed in on quite a few of them. In fact, my uh, personal log cords, I've been involved with 67% of the JTS calls. I'm passionate about the importance of the uh, JTS Thursday calls because it's really an opportunity for the community of deployed providers to come together. This is our professional community who assembles every Thursday. This provides an opportunity for us to learn, provides us an opportunity to sense those topics, which may be challenges or friction points within the deployed system. And one of the real values is the fact it's a multidisciplinary. We have a chance to bring not only clinicians, but we also have a chance to bring our administrative leadership. We also go across multiple COCOMs, so that's a huge part of the value. If we look at a learning system, a key part of that system is the feedback. And just think back to the roots of this conference began in 2004, 2005, when casualties were arriving to launch tool, and there were compartments which were not adequately decompressed. This phone call, this Thursday JTS conference in its original form was able to provide some specific feedback to the providers downrange to inform them of their opportunities for improvement. This forum specifically ensured that clinical practice improvement did incur. Now also thinking back to the early days of this call, this is critically important because I'm recalling my experience at the Rule 2s, having a patient who may have had a mangled extremity or a severe TBI. Our opportunity for follow-up was not nearly as good as it is now. So 
only way to really find out if that mangal extremity came to amputation, if the patient in coma emerged or not, was only by uh, the direct feedback from our providers who would communicate at that time with Bethesda and uh, San Antonio. So during our time here, you strongly encouraged the surgeons who were in the theater to join the Armed Forces Medical Examiner JTS teleconference on the first Wednesday of every month. Why did you encourage us to call in on those discussions? The AFMES JTS conference provides an excellent opportunity to improve combat casualty care. I specifically recall the uh, circumstances of 2012 joining Joint Trauma System, and Colonel Brian Eastridge had just described his findings to leadership. And the feedback Colonel Eastridge was receiving from the leadership, which was not all that encouraging for that information to be distributed, pointed out to me the fact that uh, this information needs to be shared. We need to share those times that we have identified opportunities for improvement. And I, I personally have found this a way to improve patient care delivery, not only in terms of the literature, but it is another way which brings together the continuum of providers. Oftentimes, the patients who are presented on the forum are those patients who die only after the initial life-saving interventions have been applied or not at all. This is a way for our pre-hospital providers to hear about ways we can improve their interventions. And uh, certainly the form is a way to critique any individual's care. It's a way to help us prove the guidelines. So it's just critical to have something which covers the full range. Also, we discuss those dyes of wounds who may succumb later to their injuries. And, and personally, I have a specific interest in the, the review of uh, combat mortalities. Thinking back to an experience I had in uh, 2005, Baghdad, we were, my Ford surgical team was co-located with the Combat Support Hospital, Ibn Sina. And during very hectic period of time, a young troop arrived and was sick. The degree of his injuries was not immediately apparent. The troop died on my watch. It took me 10 years to reach out to AFMES, speak to my colleague Ed Metzkowski to find out what the full extent of the injuries were. And the burden of relief off my shoulders to learn the full extent and recognize this was a unpreventable death was very helpful to me. So I think there is importance in ensuring that the downrange providers, clinicians maintain contact with our colleagues at AFMES to know we have resources which to look to to provide feedback. And that's a lesson that Brian Eastridge brought to us to study our combat mortalities is a lesson which we should take away from these past 20 years and should not be lost. About a month ago, you had Major Michael Lalleman, who is a trauma surgeon and stationed at an austere role, too, in theater here at CENTCOM. You worked very hard for him to come spend some time at the Royal Three with us as he exited OIR. What was the importance of your 
having him come to the role three to experience what you learned as the trauma medical director during your career? That was quite a highlight of my deployment to have uh, Major Lolliman with me here at the uh, role three. Yeah, Major Lolliman was just returning from uh, several months at an austere role two. And at this point, Mike had a chance to experience that side of the deployed trauma system. And Mike, of course, is a very well-trained and very skilled surgeon. But the goal is for Michael to gain an understanding of the entire deployed trauma system. The maturation of trauma surgeons is general surgery training, followed by perhaps a utilization tour or two, then followed by fellowship. And then going off to deployments as well as garrison assignments. The key of the experience we have with our fellowship is to become clinically proficient and knowledgeable. But another key part of the process of training is learning the entire trauma system. That is not only becoming a clinical expert, but understanding the entire piece, all the pieces to the system, the pre-hospital, intra-hospital, not only what happens in the trauma bay, but the OR, the ICU, then off to the rehab. And that's a lesson which is learned during the trauma fellowships. And of course, we have a chance to learn what goes on the civilian trauma fellowships, but we don't really have a chance to do that in the deployed trauma system. So this is a good opportunity for Mike, who just uh, spent some time at the austere role two to see the role three and actually provide some perspective to him on what he just saw. And in doing so, could internalize and hopefully inspire him, encourage him if he should desire to assume some roles as a theater trauma director. I certainly know that my perspective is different at the role three versus my last deployment, which was at a role two. But now that you serve as the trauma medical director, what do you find is the one aspect that takes up the most amount of your time? Tracking down trauma records. It's hard to believe when I discuss this with people, but the biggest challenge I have as a theater trauma director is tracking down all the trauma records. I think the reason for this is because oftentimes our colleagues at point of injury, pre-hospital, don't recognize the true importance of every single document to record our patient's care. What's absolutely critical for us to improve our trauma care is to have data, and that data is in the form of those trauma records. Some truisms in terms of performance improvement are you can only improve what you measure, you get better results when you measure and compare, and you get best results when you measure, compare, and reward. And so from the whole fundamental piece of performance improvement is actually the initial part, measuring something. And there's many purposes for the medical record. The medical record serves as a way primarily to inform our colleagues what care has been provided. It serves particularly in the continuum how critically important that is, but also so the care provided can be entered into our trauma registry. So we can then collate that with other records and then find out what's actually is working and what's not working. And so a good part of my time is to emphasize to the colleagues uh, throughout the entire 
theater, how important those records are, and actually what the requirements might be, because sometimes it's not all that intuitive. The deployed environment, there's many challenges for capturing the records. There's IT challenges. Places with very poor internet and connectivity who may not even be able to listen in on the call today, not only are they challenged by IT support, but even documenting, scanning something to be then successfully uploaded. Well, if they're such an austere site, they may not even have a scanner. And then having papers a challenge. So we full well recognize that there are many challenges to get the data, particularly at the more austere sites. But typically it's just a matter of emphasizing how important this is so we can continue to be that ongoing learning trauma system. So medical care, as we know it, utilizes an evidence-based approach to identify the best processes to improve patient care. What would you say is your perspective of the importance of having detailed and complete trauma records and how that plays into the entire deployed medical environment? The key point is for this uh, data to be uh, brought together in a registry, then analyzed and determine what sort of outcomes we're obtaining with those treatments. If our treatments are not getting the sort of outcomes we like, then adjust the guidelines. Now, in our environment right now, the clinical pace is quite slow, which is good. However, it makes each individual patient documentation that much more important. We must have as much collection, fidelity in terms of the data as possible. So it may seem easy to minimize the importance of uh, the data capture, but it even makes it more important in the environment where the clinical pace is relatively slow. I know that all the papers that have been landmark as far as we consider in military medicine have really utilized the data collected from the JTS and even our group in San Antonio has identified several areas of vascular surgery issues that help us and guide us for future battlefield care and even care in the United States. One of the first things you did during our time deployed together as the OAR trauma director was to perform a battlefield circulation. Why did you do that? And how do you think it best for trauma directors to get a full understanding of the theater and the trauma system within the theater? The initial effort was undertaken to identify some specific friction points in theater and gain a full understanding of a somewhat complex uh, environment in which care is being provided. But only by walking the ground, interacting with the providers who are delivering the care, can you really understand the challenges which uh, our colleagues are faced with. I think the importance of that face-to-face communication and really understanding, particularly the austere environment, is important. Not so much as we get to develop to mature areas, but specifically the austere side. Everything's very low. Understanding exactly how far away from the uh, roll to the landing zone is, the pitfalls in moving from a remote LZ to the uh, roll to important, seeing the IT infrastructure or not IT infrastructure, which uh, exists, is important. And also to let our colleagues know that they have an ally. As the theater trauma director, I have 
command and control over nothing. Merely it's relationships and opportunity to serve as a colleague, resource, and advocate for our colleagues at the role two, at the role three, and trauma system. One of the things that I've observed that I found to be extraordinarily valuable for the group of surgeons who's in OIR right now was the way in which you've been able to bring the surgeons together. I know that for me, I've been in southern Afghanistan at a split forward surgical team as a general surgeon with orthopedic surgeon and a CRNA, as well as the rest of the surgical team. But I really felt like during that time that I was on an island. I don't think that that's the same perspective that the surgeons that are currently here and OIR have, and I think that's largely due to your trauma medical leadership. What have you found has been the best ways for you to create a collaborative environment within the theater trauma system, given that all the assets are so widely distributed throughout the theater of conflict? If we look back at clinical challenges, problems, Oftentimes, a deep dive will identify there's uh, communication gaps. And so setting up a forum for our colleagues uh, throughout the theater to communicate and uh, share ideas is critically important. Fortunately, as the trauma medical director, I uh, can be viewed, since I don't have command control, as an advocate or resource or an ally, hopefully so. But I think that's one of the benefits we have of not being in a very formal command structure in my clinical role. And it serves as a way to ensure communication is open and get uh, feedback on what the real issues are. Many years ago, I had a good friend who became a two-star general, and we'd known each other back in our college years. And then, as many of you know, I came in the Army fairly late, and he had already ascended the GO ranks. And so we could speak a bit differently than the usual subordinate to superior, even though I was in his subordinate, his chain of command. But he informed me that when he became a GO, it became very difficult to find out what was really going on. He often described the circumstances of going to a site, trying to find out what's really happening at an MTF, but everything would be painted in a very rosy picture. People would not wish for the challenges to be seen. And I think that's part of our nature in the military is to paint a very good picture. And that's one of the good things about being in a more informal leadership role, which can ensure that the communication remains open and robust, true two-way communication. You know, we certainly have more of a collegial environment among us clinicians, uh, particularly the surgeons, many of whom who know each other, and, you know, getting the great feedback from colleagues who are distributed throughout theater currently, Scott Armand, John Maddox, for example, Sam Hoppy, John Myers, Max Che, these folks all inform me And hopefully we can, in our informal uh, sessions, provide some input and perhaps share experiences which they might find valuable. The forum isn't quite as informal as the surgeon's lounge, for example, but it, with relatively little structure, I think it does uh, get the goal accomplished of maintaining a good, uh, robust communication. Yeah, that's one of the observations that I've had is that having a one-hour Zoom call once a week 
really is able to bring the surgeons together. And also, there's so many replacements that occur that it really helps to bring the team together, even when there's different people coming into the team and people leaving the team. It reminds me a lot of what the combatant command does, and they meet on a weekly basis to make sure that they have a good understanding of the operational environment. One issue that has come up during our deployment was that some of the Roll2 assets needed resources and that the spectrum of care was a little bit broader than what you might traditionally think in other phases of conflict where there's ground offensive operations or there's defensive operations. We're now in the government stabilization process, which is phase four. And what have you found is the best way to help these surgeons and medical assets that are forward deployed getting their needed assets when the spectrum of care is different than what we might traditionally expect? Certainly the Best way is to full understand the environment in which our colleagues are working and advocate to those in the chain of command who do have authority. And the way to do that is with data, is actually looking at what is the cases, what's the mix of cases, and that's critically important so we can paint a picture for leadership as to where the gaps might be in resources. And And as uh, we do in many things, our effort is to inform leadership. It's not necessarily to beg or to encourage. It's merely to inform. Our leadership is very, very smart. And they have an understanding well outside merely the medical environment. But uh, certainly we have an obligation to inform in a very objective, straightforward clear in which they can take the information regarding the clinical care in the context of the overall operational environment. My last question for you is, as we prepare to grow the next generation of surgeons and military medical providers, what are the areas you see in which we can improve the joint trauma system and the joint theater trauma system as military medicine moves into the next 10 to 20 years. Well, first, I've got to congratulate Stacy Shackleford on her uh, tenure as the Joint Trauma System Director. Uh, she's overseeing the Joint Trauma System as it was uh, formalized and established and truly gained the recognition as the authority in the DOD for the deployed trauma care and trauma care within the DOD. But certainly one of the things she presented at the Committee on Surgical Combat Casualty Care last week was the idea that the joint trauma system is really going to expand more of a joint combat casualty care system. And this is based on the experience, for example, in COVID. You know, who did the Department of Defense look to during COVID? The group that was evidence-based knew how to capture data the joint trauma system. Also, the joint trauma system attracts individuals who tend to be forward-leaning and very clinically oriented and will be able to guide the DOD in future potential health crises. For example, prospect of C. burns always lurking. But having some site within the DOD, which really is that 
a group of individuals who will drive to seek improvement continually. And of course, that must be done with data. And so that I think is a key part as it expands. Mentorship is a key. Of course, I'm very glad, as we mentioned, have a chance to work with Mike. We have another young trauma surgeon in theater. Hopefully we can spend some time with him before I redeploy. But having formalized ways to direct their careers. Certainly our warfighters have a very well-defined way for ascension and taking on greater roles in their line. However, in the military health system, we do have that as well, but taking on roles, for example, in the joint trauma system, it's important to help encourage those folks who would be interested in taking on those leadership roles and make sure they have the tools and the opportunities to do so. I certainly know that there's no better place to learn about deployed medicine than in the operational environment. Well, it looks like our hours complete here for this uh, joint trauma system teleconference. Uh, many thanks for those who participated and presented our case today, and also uh, Colonel Causey. It's been great having you in theater with us, and uh, thanks so much for shaping this conversation. This concludes our presentation for 19 May. Gross out. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of War Docs, the military medicine podcast. We sure hope you enjoyed it. We invite you to follow and subscribe to our show on whatever platform you consume your podcast so you don't miss an episode. Please rate and review this podcast and share our show with your contacts on social media. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Find out more information about our show and our guests and how to become a member of Team War Docs on our website, wardocspodcast.com. That's wardocspodcast, one word, dot com. Thanks so much for your support. If you like war stories and medical drama, Wardocs has you covered. Spread the word.